once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Cato Click is going to be bringing our message today as we continue with the series on the law of God. Now, a lot of you know Caleb, and some of you may not know Caleb, but he's new to our teaching team here at Perimeter and new to our young adult ministry, uh, working under Jeff Norris's leadership. Uh, Some of you may know him because he spent part of his high school years here at Perimeter, went to University of Georgia, and that's where God really got a hold of him and brought a spiritual awakening to his life. Has done youth ministry up in Forsyth County and attended Covenant Theological Seminary. And then has been one of the pastors at First Presbyterian Church in Augusta for a few years before coming here. And uh, uh, Caleb is quite a gifted preacher. We're very thankful to have him on our team, both the teaching team and the young adult team. And so we're looking forward to hearing God's word from you today. Let me pray for Caleb as he brings the word to us today. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for Caleb. We thank you for how you came and found him when uh, he wasn't really looking for you. Uh, But you brought him to a point of need, and you brought him to yourself. And we thank you for your call upon him to be a minister and a proclaimer and a teacher of your word. And so, Lord, we thank you that uh, your word is in his hands today to bring to us. Uh, We ask you that you would uh, fill him with your spirit, anoint what he says to us, May we see the good news of Jesus in what he says to us today, as well as the beauty of your law. And Lord, we ask you also that you might fill us with your spirit as we hear. May we be attentive to hearing. May we work hard in hearing, not only hearing with our minds, but hearing with our hearts as we listen to your word to us today. We thank you for the beauty of the law and the beauty of the gospel. And may all of that beauty as reflected in Christ Jesus, be felt by us today as Caleb brings your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Now, as we dig into our text today, we're going to be turning in our Bibles to Exodus 20. And as you're turning, I want to call your attention to something. If you are living and you are breathing and your heart is still beating at this very moment, then this text applies to you. Because last time I checked, if you have a pulse, it's because you had a mother and you had a father. Now, they may not be living. They may be dead. They may have been absent all your growing up. They may have been present all of growing up. They may have been terrible fathers and mothers. They may have been amazing, godly, beautiful fathers and mothers. But every single one of us had one. And that means that when we open up this text, the command that is confronting us, it's one that applies to us right now. And we are either violating it or we are following it, and there is no middle ground. And so turn with me now in God's Word, and I want to remind us where we've gone. God is giving his people, the people he has just freed from slavery in Egypt, the law of love, the way they are to follow him, the way they are to honor him, the way they are to stay as a part of his covenant people. And he begins this way, he says in chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And then he gives them four commands, four of them all dealing with who he is. He says, you are to worship no one but me. 
You were not to make a graven image in worship, but you were not to take my name in vain. And then fourthly, the one Randy will get to in a few weeks, remember the Sabbath day to make it holy. And then in verse 12, he turns for the very first time to the relationships we have with each other. And he starts it here with a relationship we are all far too familiar with. He says this in verse 12, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would speak clearly through your word. Lord, I pray you'd speak through me in my weakness, speak through me in my brokenness. Take this text, and Lord, in every way, I pray that through your spirit, you would drive it into the very core of our being, expose the thoughts, expose the intentions of our hearts. But most of all, Lord, show us more of your Son. Lord, I pray we would not leave this time still dependent on ourselves and on our own strength, but Lord, instead, having cast ourselves at the feet of the one who can save. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When Randy told me the text I was going to be preaching on, I texted my parents immediately, and I was like, you're never going to believe what I got asked to preach on. Because if you knew me growing up, uh, I was a nightmare for my parents. Uh, I did not honor them. I did not respect them. I did not love them. I failed this commandment in pretty much every way you could imagine. Uh, When I was told by my parents that there was a movie that I really wanted to see, that I couldn't see, I did what a foolish, selfish high school kid would do. I lied and said I was going to go see a different movie. And then came home and repeated the lie again. Uh, When my parents told me that they didn't want me reading certain books because they didn't think I was ready for the content, they thought there was things in there that might be negative for me at that point in place in my life, I nodded my head and then I went to the library and I found those books and I tucked them into my jacket, and I stashed them in the bathroom under the towel so I could read them in secret, because I'm a nerd. (laughs) And when my parents would tell me what it was they wanted me to do, chores they wanted me to do around the house, the way they wanted me to treat my brother and my sister, the way they wanted me to behave in school, the things that they thought would be good for me, the things they thought were necessary for me, I would roll my eyes, shrug my shoulders, grit my teeth, and grunt and complain the whole way through. Because in every way, when I looked at my parents, I didn't see a means of freedom. What I saw was an impediment to the things I really wanted to do. And you know, that thought... That's not just true of me, is it? In all of our hearts, when we hear that we are to submit to somebody, almost immediately we begin to revolt. Because we think that submission means the loss of freedom. You know, a couple days ago, Mallory and I, we dusted off one of my old DVDs, uh, a movie that some of you are familiar with and some of you may not be, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And if you've ever seen this movie, it's a classic. It's hilarious, inappropriate at points, so use your discretion. But the premise of the movie, which had never really struck me until I realized I was preaching this sermon, it's basically this. Authority, your parents, your teachers, authority of any kind, it is something that stands in the way of that which would truly give you life. And if you are going to be free, if you are going to be satisfied, then you have to throw it off. 
and then and only then will you find the life that you're seeking. And so when we come to this text, we find ourselves getting just a little bit uncomfortable because God says freedom is not found in throwing off authority. Freedom is found in submission to authority. The very first commandment God gives, before do not murder, before do not steal, before do not commit adultery, before do not covet and do not bear false witness, it is this, honor your father and your mother. And what makes us even more uncomfortable is how seriously the Bible takes this. The very next chapter in Exodus 21, twice, in verse 15 and verse 17, God says to his people, the one who breaks this law Whoever strikes his mother or his father, whoever reviles his mother or his father, that person, they shall be put to death. And it is a sentence that is not just stated there, but is repeated in Leviticus 19, Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 27, and then again and again and again in the Proverbs. And before we think that that's just an Old Testament thing, one of those things that applied to them then but doesn't apply to us now, it is a punishment you hear on the lips of Jesus himself in Matthew 15. When he quotes this commandment, and then he turns to face his audience, and he quotes Exodus 21, whoever reviles father and mother, this person shall be put to death. And he quotes it, not as a relic of the past, but as something that still has bearing on the present. God treats this very seriously. And so we have to begin to ask ourselves, why? Why does God treat this thing so seriously when we in our culture and in our hearts don't? And I think it's for this very simple reason. Because ultimately, when we reject our fathers and our mothers, when we do not honor them, Ultimately, we are refusing to honor and refusing to submit to the one who set them in authority over us. In the end, it's not an issue of our relationship with our parents. In the end, it's about our relationship with the living God. It's the reason in Romans 1 that when Paul is listing out all the explicit ways that our hearts are revealed, hearts that have worshipped and served, not the God who created the world, but instead the things that are in the world, in all the ways that we have said, God, you are not God and I am. He says one of the explicit expressions of a heart that is refusing to worship God, it's this, disobedience to parents. The way you feel about your parents, the way you treat your parents, be they living or dead, be you in their house or out of their house, it reveals something about the way you feel about God. And it is that very seriousness that actually points us towards the incredible freedom that this commandment gives. Because it forces us to go back to the one who gave the commandment. To the God who says, I have not come to enslave you. But as he says in verse 2, before any of the commandments are given, I am the one who has already set you free. 
I am the one who, when you were in slavery in Egypt and you thought there was no one who loved you and no one who cared for you and no one who would break the shackles on your hands, I'm the one who broke them. I'm the one who brought you out. I am the one who has claimed you for himself. And it is a freedom that we have in an even greater way in Jesus. And when God gives us these commands, when he holds up these laws, it's not to enslave us, it's not to bind us. It is so that we would know freedom in an even greater way and we would be brought not into the world the way we want it to be, but instead the world it was created to be. And when we know that freedom, when we experience that way we were created to live and we are free to live that way in Christ, that's when even more blessing comes. Because this is the commandment, the only one in the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. So what does it mean to honor our fathers and our mothers? First, and most obviously, the one we're going to spend the most time on is this. To honor your parents is to obey them. Uh, the exhortation that runs all through the scriptures is this. We are to obey our parents. Uh, it says this in Proverbs 1.8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents, and this part's fun, in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Again and again and again, when the Bible talks about honoring our parents, it is with this idea in mind, we are to submit, we are to obey in every way. So long as we are under our parents' roofs, so long as we are under their authority, we obey. Now, I know that if your heart is anything like mine, we hear that and we start to revolt, don't we? You know, I think of my daughter, I have an 18-month-old named Mary Neal. And her favorite word with her mom and I right now, it is no. She's like Dikembe Mutombo after blocking a shot in basketball. She'll wag her finger and be like, no, 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 no. And, and I look at her, and I see my heart. I see me. I see every one of us. We hear authority, we hear submission, and we hear slavery. And so immediately, we start going, no, 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 no. Nowhere close. I don't want that. I want to be free. And I think the reason that happens is we have lost sight of the fundamental reason that God gave us parents to begin with. Because why did God give us parents? Is the relationship between a child and their father and mother, is that something that happened after the fall, or is that something that existed before it? Families, families are part of God's created good. Families are there so that when a child is born, the parent, as it says in Proverbs 22, can train up that child in the way that they should go. Parents are there so that when a baby who can't feed themselves, who can't even roll over if they needed to roll over, who can't change their diaper, who can't clean themselves up if they needed to, who couldn't protect themselves from danger even if they were aware of the danger, parents are there to make sure that child is fed and clothed and washed and bathed and that that child survives. Parents are there, not just to make sure the kid keeps breathing, though that's a big part of it. Parents are there to train that child how they are to function in life so when the day comes 
When that child is released out into the world to go out and be on their own, they will not suffer, but instead they will flourish. We obey our parents because when we do, we are submitting ourselves to God's ordained means of training us so that one day we would walk out of the door of our family's home and we would not just engage with life, but we would flourish in the midst of life. And you know, that's a truth that we recognize in almost every other part of our lives, but we seem to want to push away in this one. You know, if you wanted to be the next William Shakespeare, you wanted to be the greatest playwright, the greatest poet, the greatest writer, I would say you're an absolute moron if you said you didn't need to learn from somebody. Because unless somebody sits down with you and teaches you the ABCs, constructing sentences is going to be kind of hard. Uh, If somebody doesn't sit down and teach you what a word means or how to construct a sentence or how to make a paragraph or how to create characters that are vivid and real and actually match up with the world we live in that would teach you how to take a theme and run it through a story, how to create an emotional arc where there's climax and denouement, if you don't know those things, if you have not been learning the fundamentals under somebody who knows more than you do, you will never be free to create something new and lasting and vibrant. You have to learn first. And if that's true with basic skills, how much more than when it comes to life? And here's the thing. Parents, parents are not just there to train us so that we would function socially, so that we would function and be able to go get a good job or do well in school or do okay in our marriages. Parents are there to provide for us in an even more fundamental way than that. Because what were we all created for? Relationship with the living God. In Deuteronomy 6, right after the Lord gives the Ten Commandments to his people, he says to the fathers and mothers, when your children come to you, And they say, why should we keep this commandment? Here's the way you're supposed to answer. You don't point them to the law. You don't say, because I said so. You don't say, you should do this because in some way it's going to bless you in the end, even if that's true. He says, no, the first thing you do is this. You tell them of the God who, when you were in slavery in Egypt, The God who, when you were hopeless and you thought no one heard your cries, the one who heard and answered and delivered. The one who is not just your God, but theirs. The one who has set them apart as one of his own. And then you turn to the law and say, and here is the way that he would have us live so that we would be truly free. It's what Paul is hitting at in Ephesians 6 when he says that fathers are to raise up their children in what? in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. We submit to parents, not just that we would flourish in the basic life skills that help us in the material world, though I do think that's part of the reason we have the promise. You obey your parents, you live just a bit longer. You don't cross the street when the cars are coming because your dad says not to, you survive. But if you obey, and your parents are functioning as God intended them to, then when you leave that house, you are not only connected to what helps you thrive materially, but you are connected to the one who is life itself. That's why we have parents. We obey in everything 
Because it is only in obedience that we find out what true freedom is like. Now, I realize, as I say this, that there are some of you who are already rattling around in your brains those little biblical encyclopedias, and you're going, well, what about those places in Matthew 10 and in Luke 14 where Jesus says, whoever doesn't hate his father and his mother can't be my disciple. Uh, those places where he says, I've not come with peace but a sword to set a father against his son and a son against his father and a mother against her daughter and a daughter against her mother. What about those? Doesn't that seem to contradict what you're saying about this text? And here's how I would respond. It is not a contradiction that Jesus is giving us. It's an exception. Because here's what Jesus is addressing in both of those passages. It isn't that the law is being cast off. Rather, he is drawing you back to something that was implicit in the law to begin with. Because what comes before honor your father and your mother? You shall have no other gods before me. What Jesus is driving at, it's not a contradiction. It is a matter of ultimate allegiance. He is saying, you obey your father and your mother. But when it comes to a place where obedience to them means disobedience to me, that's when you disobey. It doesn't matter how much you love them. It doesn't matter how much they mean to you. It doesn't matter what it would cost you. In that moment, if they are calling you to be unfaithful to your Savior, in that moment, that is when you say no. Now, a couple things need to be said about this. First, I, and I'm speaking to high school Caleb here, this is rare. I want to make this very clear. This is rare. This is not an issue of your curfew or who you get to hang out with or what trips you get to go on. This is one of those where it is saying is if they are calling, your parents are saying to you, I want you to explicitly disobey something Jesus has directly commanded you to do or not to do, then and only then, do you disobey your parents? It would be something like this. If your parents told you, I want you to get ahead in school, and I think the way you should do that is to start to deceive your teacher, that's a moment when you disobey your parents. Because obeying them would mean being unfaithful to Jesus. If your parents tell you that the only way that you can get married is at first you live with your boyfriend or girlfriend for a couple years, you know, to kind of see if it'll work out, that's a moment you disobey. Because to obey that would mean being unfaithful to the one who loved you and saved you and gave his life for you. We obey unless it comes to a place where we would have to disobey Jesus to do so. Now I say that, and I realize there are some of you in this room who from the very moment I started talking about obeying your parents, you started squirming. And not because you think that escaping your parents means freedom, but because your parents abused the authority that God gave them. They took the office that God gave them for your care, for your nourishment and your upbringing, and they used it not to help you. They used it to hurt you. They used it to wound you. They used it to strip you of your humanity, and you were out there, and you were hearing this command, and you were thinking, that doesn't just sound enslaving, that sounds dehumanizing. 
And if that is you, there's a couple things I want you to hear. One, that is not the intent of the command. Jesus has not given us this command to enslave us. He has given it that we would know his freedom. And when your parents are using this to enslave and not to free, they have forfeited the authority that they have over you. Two, God hates, and I want to emphasize that again, he hates what they have done to you. Jesus in Matthew 18, he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast in the depths of the sea. Jesus says, if anyone hurts my little ones, if anyone harms the one that I have entrusted to them, there will be a judgment to come that will be fearsome because I love my sheep. And lastly, I would say this. If you are here in this room right now and your parents took that command and they ordered you to obey and they used it as an extension of the abuse, not only should you not, I would say you must not obey your parents. And I would encourage you with everything I have, please come and talk to somebody at the church. You don't have to sit in that in silence. You don't have to be alone with that. There are people who would love to engage with that with you and point you towards a Savior who loves you and cares for you and would love to see you set free. There are exceptions. But for most of us, at most times, honoring our father and our mother, it means this, we obey. Secondly, honoring our father and our mother means that we respect our father and our mother. You know, when I was in middle school, the, the coolest show on television, the one that everybody wanted to watch, was The Simpsons. Uh, if you don't know The Simpsons, it was an adult cartoon about a, a dad named Homer who is a doofus and completely incompetent at pretty much everything he does. There's the mom, Marge, who's intelligent and smart and long-suffering. There's the oldest son, Bart, who is disobedient and rebellious and sarcastic. There's the middle sister, Lisa, who's the smart one in the family. And then there's Maggie, the infant who sucks her thumb and sucks her passy and pretty much just rolls around with the punches throughout the show. And when I was in middle school, when you went to school the next day after a new episode of The Simpsons aired, what everyone wanted to know was, is, did you see it? Did you watch it? Do you remember when they said this line? Do you remember this scene? And you would replay it and you would requote it. And I always felt on the outside because I came from the one family that would not let me watch that show. <laughs> and they would not let me watch it for this very strange reason. Because there was a lot of reasons that I could have even told them at the time they should not have let me watch that show in middle school. But the one my mom and dad gave was this. It is because they do not respect their parents. You know, we think of respect as something we give to those who are worthy of respect. We think of respect as something we give to those who do the things we think that they should do, who think the way we do, who act the way we would want them to, who behave the way we would want them to, and then we will show them respect if they do those things. And so in our culture, we feel very free to mock those who've been set in authority over us. Uh, we feel very free to mock our presidents, 
to mock our senators, to mock those who have been placed in authority over us at our works, to mock our parents, because we look at authority and we look at respect and we think respect only goes to the ones who are worthy of it. And so where we see sin, where we see something we disagree with, we think, I don't have to respect that person. And this is where the Bible blows up the way we like to operate. Because here's what the Bible says. It says you respect someone, not because of who they are. Rather, you are to see them first and foremost in their office. So that even if they are in sin, even if you are disagreeing with them, and you should disagree with them violently, always you respect them because you respect the one who stands behind that office. God himself. And he is worthy of your respect. You know, that is a challenging thought. There's this interesting passage in Genesis 9, right after the flood, where Noah and his family, they've just passed through the flood waters, they've gotten out of the ark, God has blessed them, and Noah has been painted up to this point as the man of faith. He was the one righteous man in the earth. The guy that when God said there's going to be a flood, he heard it, he believed it. When God said build an ark, he heard it, he believed it, he built it. But when you think the story should end, Noah and his family survive, God blesses them, they're in a new land, it's all clean, the evil people are gone supposedly, suddenly you find out that Noah's evil too. Because Noah, as soon as he's out, he plants a vineyard, he creates some wine, and then he gets absolutely hammered. Hammered to the point where he is completely incapacitated, hammered to the point where he is out of his senses, out of control, and he is lying in a stupor in his tent, completely naked. And it's in that state that his youngest son, Ham, shows up. And Ham sees his father exposed, shamed, lying there in all of his sin with nowhere to hide, and Ham goes and he finds his brothers, Shem and Japheth, and he brings them back to look on their father's nakedness and revile him, to mock. And when Shem and Japheth realize what is going on, they grab a cloak, and they turn their backs on their father, and each of them grabs a side, and they walk backwards into the tent to cover their father in his shame, because while they may not have respected the sin, they still respected the man in his office. They cared for his dignity. They cared for his reputation. And when Noah wakes up, it is Ham who is cursed. And it is Shem and Japheth who are blessed. There's a reason that when Saul is trying to kill David, that David doesn't respond by trying to kill Saul. Because when he looks on that man and all of his evil and all of his sin, because that is what the Bible calls what he is doing to David, he sees the man in his office, and he sees the one who stands behind it, and he says, I will not raise my hand against that man. We are to respect our parents. 
even when they may not seem worthy of our respect, even when they may be in sin, even when they may have hurt us, still we honor them. And lastly, to honor your parents is to care for them. You know, in our day and age, uh, this is one I think we miss. Obedience, respect, we see those, even if we disagree with them. But this one, I don't think we notice quite as much. Because we live in a day and age where you can actually make enough money that you have something left over after you feed yourself. Uh, We live in a day and age when if you make enough money to do that, you can save and you can prepare for the day when you stop working or you are unable to work. And so in an age of retirements and social security and government programs and pension plans, this one doesn't strike us the way it would have struck somebody in the ancient Near East. Because in their day and age, when you reached a certain age and you could no longer work, if your children did not care for you, you died. There was no government plan, there was no retirement, there was no pension, there was you and the angry fact that the only way you eat is by the sweat of your brow, and if you could no longer sweat, you were done. And so God, in his mercy and in his kindness, says, children, honor your parents by doing this. Care for them. Provide for them. When they are in their old age, you don't walk away. You don't cast them out. You invite them in. And you know, it strikes me with that command that while we're not in danger so much of abandoning our parents financially, there is another need that is staring us in the face, one I think is far more relevant to our culture. A couple years ago, I read an article about a woman named Yvette Vickers. And Yvette Vickers was a 1950s actress. She was in uh, such movie classics like Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, which if you've seen that, I'm sorry. Uh, But this article was not about her career. It wasn't about what she had done. It wasn't about what she was doing later in life. No, this article was about how she died. And what had happened was Yvette Vickers, a woman in her mid-80s, had been watching television alone in her apartment And as she was watching, as she was sitting there alone, she passed. And here's why this was newsworthy. It wasn't how she died. It was the fact that when she died, nobody noticed. Not just for a couple days. Not just for a couple weeks. Not just for a couple months. But for a year. Nobody called. Nobody knocked, nobody checked, until one day a neighbor looked at her mailbox and saw that it was overflowing with unopened mail, and he got worried, and so he broke down her door. And when he did, he found the television still running, the heat still going, and the mummified corpse of Yvette Vickers still sitting in her chair. I think the danger in our culture may not be as much that we don't provide for our families financially. It may be that we think once we leave their house that that's the last thing we have to do in caring for our parents. It may be that we neglect them. What God says in this commandment is may that never be so with my people. Care for your parents to the very end of their days Honor your father and your mother.
You know, and as I share all this with y'all, it strikes me that in this command, it doesn't give you any caveats, does it? It doesn't say honor your father and your mother if they cared for you. It doesn't say honor your father and your mother if they were present, if they provided, if they loved you, even if they treated you nicely. It just says honor your father and your mother full stop, which means there's no exceptions. And guys, that means even your in-laws. It's not just your biological parents. And if this is a command like all the others, It is an obedience that God wants, not just with our hands and our feet and with our heads. It is one he wants us to give from the heart. And if you were anything like me, that cuts you. As I looked at this commandment this week, I just found myself looking at every one of these points and going, I have failed this again and again and again and again and again. I have fantastic parents. I don't have an excuse not to have honored them, but I haven't. I have disobeyed. I have mocked. Sometimes I have not cared. And I know that there is no one in this room, there's no one in this room who can say they kept this. So where do we go? Exodus 20. Exodus 20 says you go back to the God who gave you the law. The one who gives you this law, not as a people who are not yet free, not as a people who are still waiting for someone to save, but as those who have already been brought out of slavery into God's glorious freedom. And it is a freedom that we have received in full in Christ. Because who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who says to people like you and me who have not kept the law, who have reviled their parents, who maybe spent their entire lives mocking the ones who raised us, and now they are gone, and there is no way we can make restitution. Jesus says to you and to me, the curse that you deserve, that penalty of death that is again and again proclaimed throughout the Bible, that is a curse that I have borne for you. So that for you who is condemned by this law, you are condemned no more because I have borne your condemnation. Jesus is the one who says to you and I who maybe have tried to keep this law and have come up short again and again and again, Jesus says, I am the one who has kept it. I am the one who from my first breath to my last breath, from the beginning of my days to my end, kept this command. I am the one who so loved his mother that even when he was on the cross, looked down on her from the place where he was and said to her, behold your son, and then said to his disciple John, behold your mother, because he wanted to make sure that there was someone to care for her after he was gone. He is the one who so submitted himself to the Father that even when he said, your role is to die, your role is to be forsaken, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And if you are in Christ, what the gospel says to you is when the Father looks at you, he does not see the disobedient son or daughter. He sees the one who perfectly kept it. So that the exhortation, the commendation that Jesus received, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, that that would be yours and mine as well. Jesus is the one 
who fulfilled this law so that you and I, who did not keep it, could share in the promise that our days would be long in the land that the Lord our God is giving to us. That's an invitation, not just into a physical land as it was with Israel. It's an invitation into the very house of God. And it is one that Jesus has perfectly purchased for you and for me. We obey this command because we trust the one who set us free. And we know that obedience brings greater blessings still. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, as sons and daughters who have sinned, as sons and daughters who have gone astray, we praise you that you, Lord, offer us redemption. That, Lord, you are the one who has brought us out of slavery, who has freed us from sin's power, who has freed us from sin's condemnation. I pray this evening, that this morning, if there are anyone here who is far from you, I pray, draw them home. And in every way, open our eyes to see you in all your beauty. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.